The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everybody, and welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM 860. This is your host, Richard Address, and we're streaming live as well on WWDBAM.com. You can reach us at BoomerGenerationRadio at gmail.com or on the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. And all the shows are archived at www.JewishSacredAging.com. And we will be back with our first segment guest, Callie Janoff, right after this message from our good friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker Principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit Kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Good day again. Welcome to our first segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia and WWDBAM.com streaming live. And we are pleased to welcome Callie Janoff to our show. Callie, are you there? Hi, good morning. Hi. <laughs> How are you feeling? I'm okay. Thank you, Richard. Okay, good, 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 good. Uh, Callie Janoff, the director of ARCH, which stands for, if I'm correct, the Aging Resources Consultation and Help Program, which is a lot to say. So, Callie, um, translate that into Philadelphian. What does ARCH stand for? What, is it, what do you do? What do you do? So, ARCH, um, A-plus on getting the acronym. Nobody actually can ever remember it, so thank you. <laughs> Um, the ARCH program is actually uh, based in New York, um, and we are great friends with Philadelphia, partly because we are a Quaker organization, and there are lots of Quakers in Philadelphia as well. So uh, the ARCH program is based in uh, New York Yearly Meeting, which is the Quaker organization that kind of covers all of, all of New York State. And um, we basically um, run this program uh, to help the the 70 or so meetings and worship groups that we call congregations um, better serve the needs of their oldest members. So this is a faith-based, a Quaker-based program of outreach to older adults. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. The important thing to know about um, about our program is that though our focus is on older people, in fact, we end up serving whole communities because we're all aging, right? And that's what um, they tell me we, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and the you know the the better we care for each other in our last third of life, the better connected we are all intergenerationally as well. So, so you work or you run this program. Um, it's not just for, is it just Quaker bases or just, just for the Quaker community or is it really based, based within the Quaker community, but for 
everyone? Well, it's um, it's actually a good question. On paper, our program is really designed to serve the group of faith communities that I just talked about. Mm-hmm. But I, I think we can say that historically, things like you know Quaker schools or you know the um, Quaker life care communities like Kendall even are things that um, Quakers start but then end up kind of benefiting everybody, you know, anybody who comes into contact with those kinds of Quaker institutions ends up um, better for it. And we, you know, we're pretty, (laughs) we're a pretty young program, only about eight years. So it's, who knows where, where we're going to go. But I also think that our program makes us just sort of better humans with each other. And that naturally extends into our relationships with people who are not necessarily Quakers. So this program, let's let's, um, get some specifics. The program Mm -hmm. itself is what? You're helping seniors, baby boomers within the community. But how do you do that? I mean, is it lectures? Uh, Is it a brochure? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or is is it direct service human being to human being? Well, um, the answer is yes. Good. <laughs> the, um, the program was founded originally by two Quakers in New York Yearly Meeting who um, had a particular, let's say, call to this particular ministry. Um, they um, also had special skills. And so they originally uh, started the program in their geographic area around the Albany sort of metro area. And um, we're making visits to people to just sort of be of service. You know, if um, they were visiting with somebody who's, you know, a family and the, the father had Parkinson's and he was having difficulty with the stairs and they weren't really sure what to do. And they just said, well, you know, let's talk about it. And they ended up deciding to put his bedroom in the dining room on the first floor instead, and that sort of solved the problem. You know, things like that. Um, but then, you know, New York State is actually pretty broad geographically, and so when they took this show on the road and had to drive six hours to Fredonia, all of a sudden it didn't make sense to um, be doing all of this as two lonesome people. So they decided to start a volunteer network um, with the idea that people who were more geographically distributed would have a better idea of what their community really needed and wouldn't have to drive so far. (laughs) So um, really, the program's core is this volunteer network of visitors. And visitors get together for a training retreat weekend and we load them up with lots of resources and ideas and opportunities to develop listening skills and pastoral care skills. And um, they get an opportunity to really reflect on their own experiences of aging and loss and grief and um, their own fears and hopes about their own aging. And then they take all of that back to their meetings and are able to be uh, a resource person in in their meeting. So this is um, this idea of direct service and and uh, friendly visitor is one congregation I know from our tradition calls this program. It, this um, it seems to be 
a growing phenomenon. I know within the Christian community, the non-Quaker community, there's uh, programs like the Stevens Ministries out of the Midwest. Uh, mm-hmm. In our own tradition, the, the Caring Community Program that's involved in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of synagogues. Um, yeah. What do you think is the motivation for so many people now around the country in congregations across the denominational lines. Uh, I, I'm also working with another organization, SeaTac, out of Washington, that's doing a lot of this stuff in the uh, AME community, uh, in the African-American church community. What, what's what's going on? Or has this always been there, it just getting more publicity now? Or is there some significant change as boomers age and perhaps um, this desire to give back uh, to aspects of their own community. What's going on? Well, I think, you know, I think that you're probably tapping into a couple of things that are true. And it's certainly no one thing, right? Um, on the one hand, uh, a lot of the people who become uh, arch visitor volunteers are themselves in their 70s, you know, or even older. Mm-hmm. So it's often sort of like the the younger, older people who are, who are caring for the older, older people or even um, just one another. And so there's definitely an, an aspect there of interest in being of service and, and that sense of sort of volunteerism and giving back. The reality, though, is that, I mean, I, I don't think this is news to anybody, that the boomers are creating a tidal wave of aging in our country. Um, and we're not really equipped to handle that in terms of what it's going to mean for for caregiving. And uh, I think that the faith communities are experiencing that need firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, they're used to doing that kind of pastoral care for each other anyway. And I know that, you know, from our perspective, we're trying to build capacity for what we know is ahead. That, that, um, there seems to be, and we've had a number of people on the show in the last couple of years from the non-faith community, you know, economists, uh, therapists, etc. And, uh, even, uh, last year, the, somebody from social security, as a society, we're not ready for this, um, caregiving explosion, are we? No. <laughs> so the, the, the reality is, and, and your program, and I think this is something that the denominations are now beginning to wake up to institutionally, not only, not necessarily congregation by congregation, but institutionally that the, the church, the meeting, the synagogue, the mosque in the next 20 years has the potential of revitalizing themselves around this issue of caregiving. Is that what you're seeing in, in your, in the Quaker movement? Are you seeing this, this awareness grow and, and a need for a more institutional reaction? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think it also sort of points to the demographic of faith communities in our country in general. I mean, there's no, it's no, it's also no secret that, um, most of the, Congregations, particularly mainstream, mainstream Protestant communities, are are skewing dramatically older. There are less and less younger people involved in faith communities. And this is obviously a broad generalization. That's not true across the board. But in generally, religious in in general, religious people tend to be older people. And so, what's happening is, I know I can speak from 
experience, you know, my community is looking around at itself and seeing a, a head, you know, a room full of heads that are covered in gray hair. So it's it's really a reflection of exactly who we are right now and recognizing that um you know, we want to we want to revitalize. We want to be attracting people who are um, new or younger or interested in becoming a part of our community. Um, but really, the best way that we can do that is to nurture and cherish what we have, and what we have is a community of older people. Right, and the the last statistics I saw from the Pew. Um, Religion and Life Group published a rather extensive list of um, the age breakdowns of all the major denominations in the United States of America. And if you really just graphic, I mean, just there in black and white and there's just no ignoring it. And it's just uh, I know our community um, is uh, well, the majority of them now are over 50. So and I know we've Mm -hmm. talked about some other people um in some of the mainline Christian communities that, you know, the, the average, the average age of the, of the congregations are into the sixties. So you're right. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is a, uh, I think if we look at it correctly, a magnificent opportunity in many ways for congregations to revitalize themselves in a very, very powerful and meaningful way because the society just is not ready, ready to deal with us. We are speaking with Callie Janov, the director of ARCH. The Aging Resources Cons- Consultation and Help Program out of the New York Yearly Meeting, uh, the Religious Society of Friends, the Quakers, and we'll be back with Callie. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the what you're seeing and the power of faith and how these volunteers will um, interact with some of the issues that they deal with when they when they go to visit somebody, and we'll do that right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing, and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit kendall.org or call toll-free 888 759-0128. Welcome back to our first segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. I'm your host, Richard Address, and we're speaking on our first segment today with Callie Janoff from uh, the director of ARCH, the Aging Resources Consultation and Help Program out of the Quaker meeting in New York, and talking about this visitation program, ARCH, which uh, trains volunteers to work with direct service with individuals, um, basically, Callie, in their homes, correct? Mostly, but not exclusively. I mean, there's a lot of examples of people who become hospitalized that end up getting a lot of visits, (laughs) so... Uh, not necessarily just at home. Talk to me about um, what your experience is and in your training weekends. And you you take these volunteers, you you take them away for a weekend to train them. Um, talk to me about how the power of faith uh, manifests itself in these interactions uh, with, with, between the visitors and let's say the the people being visited. 
sure. So um, one of the one of Quakers' core religious beliefs is that there's God or spirit or divine or whatever one word you want to use. There's that of God in everyone. Um, another core, another core um, Quaker faith pillar is the idea that uh, we are actually a community of ministers. The big joke uh, in Quakerism is that we have abolished the laity. So we're all a community of, of ministers to one another. Um, so this would include, you know, what in other religious communities would fall to a pastor or mm-hmm. a priest or, or a clergy person. And that includes pastoral care, you know, which is spiritual care, being a companion to one another as we navigate uh, existential dilemmas of meaning um, or even the material support that would enable that kind of existential dilemma. Um, so our program and the training in particular was created to help us develop those additional kind of competencies to meet particular needs of older people. Um, so, yeah, what it might look like from the outside is care management, but at it, the heart, what we're doing is really ministry for us, and that's part of why um, why it looks the way it, it does. Um, the, the piece about there's that of God in each of us, a lot of Quakers really experience God in community. Um, we experience God in, in the light that we see in one another, and so these relationships are kind of uh, a a foundational core part of our experience of being part of this faith community. And when those relationships <clears throat> are strained or broken because, um, you know, someone has basically aged out of being able to attend a meeting, um, you know, we're, we're poorer for it. And so, um, Part of what the goal here is to keep us all in intergenerational community because, you know, our oldest Quakers are in fact, um, you know, they're in their spiritual prime and we need, we need those people to be, um, to be a light to us and to be wisdom um, among us when we can get really caught up in the day-to-day of how are we going to actually um make our lives worth living and um, our community strong. Yeah, I think this idea that you just said about the, the elders being in their spiritual prime, it's uh, it's a great concept. Uh, we don't usually mm-hmm. think, many people don't think about that way, but, but I think you're right. And, and certainly a lot of the people's experience who work in this field, I think would validate that. What, one of the great challenges in this society, and I, I'd like you to comment on, on how the ARCH program deals with this, um, is this this uh, reality of isolation on the part of elders. This has come up a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people just living alone by choice or by chance or by circumstances or being in a facility where they're rarely visited, if ever, uh, mm-hmm. and not only physical isolation but a spiritual or existential isolation. How does the ARCH program begin to, to deal with that? So the thing that is... To me, the most vexing about uh, aging in America right now is that we we really valorize independence in a way that um, makes it makes it hard for us to maintain connections with each other. So, 
I feel like what that looks like in in day to day is um, people don't want to give up um, living in their own home, for instance, or they don't want to give up driving because they feel like that is going to make them somehow more dependent on others. Um, Of course, the reality is that none of us is independent. We are all deeply, deeply dependent on one another. Um, And so part of the goal of our program is really to foster that sense of interdependence. And the way we do that is by creating opportunities for um, vulnerability and trust building. So, you know, it's really, it's really the hardest, <laughs> the hardest thing um, about running our program is getting people to ask for the help that they need. Mm-hmm. And that has to, and I think that that speaks to this issue of, um, of independence and versus interdependence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's universal. So, yeah. So, yes, exactly. And it's not, a, it's not an older people thing. It's no, an no. everybody thing. <laughs> It may actually be an American society thing, you know, if you, yeah. we don't have the time to go into that, but there's a certain core American, you know, independence, the strong in, individual against the world type of thing. And Exactly. We've set it up that way. You yeah. know, we've set up our lives and our society in such a way that that's just sort of the default expectation for how to behave in the world. Um, so, you know, what we're doing is, it's not just about the, the visits. It's about creating that that those bonds of trust and vulnerability with each other, so that um, you know we don't have to become isolated. When we need something, we feel like we trust somebody enough to ask them for what we need. You know, do you need a ride to meeting? Can I help you get to the store? Is there something I can pick up for you on my way? You know, <clears throat> people are less likely to say. Yes, I would love that if they don't, if they want people to think that they don't need anything. So uh, in the couple of minutes we have left towards the end of this segment, um, what's the greatest, I, just give me the greatest challenge that you face in running this, run, running the ARCH program. What, what is the thing that just, um, is, you have to get over the regular challenge to the success of the program? What is it in your opinion? To me, it really is just what we were just talking about. It's the sense that um, so often we don't want to ask people for the help that we need. Um, and actually, it's it's just as difficult to offer help that we think other people would need because we don't want to we don't want to feel like we're invading their privacy or we don't want them to think that we think that they need help. You know, like there's this whole kind of um, fear around uh, getting too close or or crossing some kind of boundary. And I think that that's particularly true in, in faith communities where people kind of like are always dancing around this like, well, I'm, am I, am I your heart? You know, am I connected to you through heart and God? And, or am I this sort of person who needs to stay over here and make sure my life is okay? Cause there's an infinite amount of need over there. Callie, if somebody wanted to learn more about uh, Arch, how do they do that? How do they contact you? So there's, um, we have a couple of online resources. Um, there's a, a website called Quaker Aging Resources that we developed with our friends in Philadelphia Yearly Meeting. Um, 
that's really like a great opportunity to look through some like common topics about aging that we've produced some pamphlets that you can download and then hand to somebody, which everybody kind of loves the pamphlet. Um, we also have a, a page on the New York Yearly Meeting website, nyym.org. So those two websites are nyym.org and all spelled out, quakeragingresources.org. We've been speaking and with... people can... Go ahead. Sorry, people can also email me at arch, A-R-C-H, at nyym.org. Thanks, Callie. Callie Janoff, the director of ARCH, the Aging Resources Consultation and Help Program running, being run out of the New York Yearly Meeting of the Religious Society of Friends, the Quakers. Uh, Callie, thank you very, very much for joining us on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. I appreciate it. Take care. Feel better, okay? Thanks so much, Richard. Take, Take care. care. And, um, We'll be back with our second segment, uh, Mr. Steinberg calling in from the uh, another aspect of this caregiving phenomenon uh, that we've been talking about a lot in the last oh, six, seven months here on Boomer Generation Radio. But uh, for those of us boomers, I want you to just, just lean back, uh, could have like uh, reflect back on that uh, maybe 1963 or 4 Mustang convertible. Um, you're on your way. Turn up the radio. You may hear this song. Probably you'll trigger a couple of memories. It's not for me to say you love me. It's not for me to say you'll always care. Oh, but here for the moment I can hold you fast and press your lips to mine. As far as I can see, this is heaven. And speaking just for me, it's ours to share. Perhaps the glory. And speaking just for me Perhaps the glow of love 
Welcome back to today's edition of Boomer Jam. I love that song. It's, it's a great, it's so many different memories. Anyway, welcome back to our second segment here on Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from WWDB AM860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And we're streaming live all over the known universe, I think, at WWDBAM.com. And again, you can reach us at Boomer Generation Radio at gmail.com or like us on the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page, and the shows are archived on jewishsacredaging.com. And we are very pleased to welcome uh, to the microphone for our second segment today, Michael Steinberg from North Jersey, I think, I uh, hope, from Senior Planning, New Jersey. Michael, are you there? Yes, good morning. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? How are you? Good, thank you. You're up in North Jersey, right? Uh, actually, it's Central Jersey. Um but uh, we cover the entire state of New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Florida. All right. So, but you're above Trenton. Uh, yes. Yeah, because for those straight up the 185. For those of us to be exact, for those of us who live in southern New Jersey, anything north of Trenton, we just call North Jersey. It's just a lot easier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, Alrighty. welcome, Michael. Michael, Senior Planning, New Jersey. Uh, what do you do? What is Senior Planning, New Jersey? Okay, so Senior Planning Services does Medicaid applications um, for individuals that are going into or already are in a skilled nursing facility or uh, require some additional help at home uh, to get home health aid, something of that sort. So you, uh, this is a, an issue that's come up a lot in um, the last several months on a lot of the shows, um, this idea of... of um, consultation helping especially in the area of of medicaid on on the website you have this great line that i need you to unpack which says anxiety stress a mirage of guidelines it doesn't have to be that way i know people i walk this walk myself with my mom talk to me unpack that great line of anxiety, stress, a mirage of guidelines, it doesn't have to be that way. Why not? Um, well, very simply, just just to take a step back, just to get into the anxiety part of it and the overwhelming part of it is the fact that Medicaid is an extremely tedious and overwhelming process. Um, just to give you a quick overview of what Medicaid is, Medicaid is basically a government, the government's version of a long-term care policy, which they pay out thousands of dollars every single month uh, to the skilled nursing facility or home care agencies. And if you think about it, just for a single individual in a skilled nursing facility, they're paying out approximately anywhere between six and $9,000 a month. Now, if you times that by 100 people in each nursing home, and then you times that by 250 nursing homes across the state of Pennsylvania, you're talking about a whole lot of money every single month that Medicaid is paying. And therefore, that's why the process is so tedious and so overwhelming because Medicaid needs to make sure that each individual that is getting onto Medicaid truly qualifies for Medicaid. So Medicaid uh, implemented a rule which is called a five-year look back. They would like to look back for five years into every single one of your financial statements, be it checking account, savings account, money market, 
stocks, bonds, annuities, life insurance policies, anything that has any kind of cash value, they want to see a full five-year history on that with all the verifications of showing where you know the money went to and where it came from. So if you take your average individual who's a healthy individual living at home and has a family and has children and grandchildren, doesn't think about the Medicaid process five years in advance, and they're just you know, going around about their daily lives, giving money to their children, to their grandchildren, that can really jeopardize their eligibility for Medicaid. And that's really where it gets overwhelming um, and the anxiety comes up because every time you think you're finished with the process, you're really not. (laughs) They're continuously asking for additional information. And the reason why it doesn't have to be that way, um, sorry to cut you off there. No, no, sorry. Um, Okay, the reason why it doesn't have to be that way is because um, with senior planning services, the first thing that we offer to everybody, regardless of their situation, for free is a free Medicaid education and consultation. So, you know, I think, and I could talk from personal experiences as well, not on the Medicaid end of it, but when you're dealing with a crisis, the biggest fear is the unknown. You don't know what to do next. That is the biggest fear, and that's really what builds up that anxiety level. So we feel if we had that opportunity to give the individual uh, their free consultation, a free education, yes, beyond that we have a service that we can provide, which we'll get into, but the initial step is that we have that opportunity to give them that education, put them at ease, and now they know what they need to do to get onto Medicaid. Now they understand the Medicaid rules and guidelines. So it's a very important first step to get that education. So the the to play out this scenario, let's just take a, a probably a not untypical example. As somebody uh, who's 62 years old who's dealing with, let's say, their mom or dad, and they understand that their fi- their own – their own finances may be limited. They're not of that, quote, 1%. Uh, certainly mom and dad's finances um, may be limited, and this adult child will say, maybe I need to find out exactly looking forward what may be necessary in case, because I know we have a finite amount of money, and mom and dad have a finite amount of money, uh, they need to qualify I can call you, I can call Senior Planning New Jersey and get a free consultation as to, yes, Richard, this is what is going to happen, this is what you may need, this is how it's going to work. Is that sort of like how it works? Correct. Um, We have a toll-free number, 855-S as in Sam, planning, which is 855-775-2664. You can call that number and you get a free consultation we give you as much time as you need. Uh, we go through, you know, there are never two Medicaid applications alike. There's always different family dynamics. So we give you all the time that you need to go into your situation, explain to us what's going on and what has been going on over the past five years, and then we can feed back to you um, exactly what needs to be done in order to qualify, in order to be eligible. Yeah, so that consultation is free regardless of how many questions you have, how long it takes, we never charge anybody until they choose to utilize our services. And talk to me about what this term is, because those of us who've walked this walk got to know this term. What does the term spend down mean? Okay, that's an excellent question. Okay, so <clears throat> basically what that means is um, we could take two scenarios. We'll start with the simpler one first. Um, you know, if you have Mr. Smith um, that – 
entered a skilled nursing facility. Um, and today he walked in, he's got $50,000. In order for him to qualify for Medicaid, he needs to get his money down to a certain threshold. Depending on his income, it would either be $2,400 or $8,000. But let's just assume it's the $8,000 mark. He needs to spend down that $42,000. Now, there's many different ways to go ahead and do that. Um, but the most important piece over here when you are going through the spend down is to make sure that you are spending those funds correctly. Because if it's not spent correctly and it's given out to other individual individuals, which are not a Medicaid allowable expense, that could jeopardize your Medicaid eligibility. So spend down, the, the definition of spend down is getting to that threshold of $8,000 or the $2,400. Um, and just to put it simple, what you could spend your money on when you're going through the spend down or the past five years is anything that's for the benefit of the applicant or the applicant's spouse. So, for example, um, they can pay the skilled nursing facility. They can set up what's called a prepaid burial, which is extremely important. If you have the spend down, we highly recommend that that's something that you do because that money needs to go regardless. That money needs to get down to the $8,000, so you might as well spend it on something that you are going to gain from. Um, you know, in the case of a spousal where there's a spouse in the community, then you have that many more options of how to spend that money uh, because, again, as long as it's for the applicant or the applicant's spouse. So many people use part of that spend down to do some repairs at the home, uh, set up a prepaid funeral for themselves and the spouse. So there's definitely more options um, that you can do when you're going through the spend down when you are married as opposed to a single individual. And, and just for just for clarification's sake, when you're spending down the assets of a person to that eight thousand dollars or twenty whatever twenty four hundred dollars is that twenty four twenty four is that uh, in other words the person that is trying to qualify for Medicaid they have to have that in their bank in other words that's not per year that's not earned income per year eight thousand dollars a year it's 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 just um, right. Okay. So, yeah, there's two separate things. There's income, and then there's assets slash slash resources. Assets resources is anything that has a cash value. But income is like a social security or a pension, which doesn't have a cash value standing behind it. That's reoccurring every single month. That's called the income. So, what the eight thousand dollar threshold that we're talking about here is their assets, their total assets of you know, their checking account, savings, money market, stocks, bonds, life insurance policies sometimes need to be liquidated. So that's the $8,000 threshold. As far as the income is concerned, your income will never disqualify you from Medicaid. However, um, again, this varies if it's a single individual or a spousal. Uh, for a single individual, that income is going to be due, if you are in a skilled nursing facility, that income needs to go to the nursing home every month because Medicaid says, you know, we are more than happy to pay for your care at the skilled nursing facility so long as you cannot pay for it. Mm-hmm. But if your income is $2,000, that means you have $2,000 to contribute to the bill. You pay the two, we'll pay the rest. Uh, in the case of a spousal, obviously Medicaid understands that the spouse in the community does need money to live on a month-to-month basis. So Medicaid has a rule that they cannot impoverish the community spouse, and there are um, set amounts of money that are allowed for the community spouse every single month. 
We're speaking with Michael Steinberg, uh, who's walking us through the <laughs> the maze, uh, a little bit of a maze of Medicaid and qualifi- qualifications for Medicaid eligibility uh, from senior planning in New Jersey. And uh, before we take this break from Kendall, Michael, real fast, the phone number, one What's the phone? One eight five five one eight five five seven seven five two six six four. Two six six four. We'll be back with Michael uh, from Senior Planning New Jersey right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approaches to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit KendallOutreach.org. Welcome back to our second segment here today on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, And again, we're coming to you from WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. We're with Michael Steinberg of Senior Planning, New Jersey. He's walking us through this uh challenge of uh, getting someone qualified for for medicaid okay michael so that adult child calls you up gets that free consultation um and then as you said there you will then help if i if i choose to 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 purchase the service of the of your organization what are some of the things that come with that package of service okay so like i said once the, once we are done with that initial consultation uh, but then we will then go offer uh, to the individual our services, which will include um, the first step is we will set up an appointment uh, for us to come down and meet with them. We understand that the children or the family members have a tight schedule. Everybody's got a job um, and they don't have the time to necessarily meet with us between nine o'clock and five o'clock. So whatever is convenient for them, we will come out, meet with them, whether it's in their home or in the school nursing facility or at that place of work wherever and whenever is convenient for them. Uh, once we come down and meet with them, uh, we do an interview, trying to get a good idea of what has gone on over the past five years, as well as any accounts that have been active over the past five years. Um, they sign some of, our, some of our documentation, and from there, we assume the responsibility to get this done from beginning to end. We gather all the documentation, the whole five-year look back, um, you know, anything that's missing, whether it be a birth certificate, death certificate, regardless of what documentation is needed, we assume that responsibility to go ahead and get it on their behalf. And I just want to make a point here because uh, so many people that we speak to say, oh, you know, mom's got every single piece of paper from the past five years, so then what What do I need your service for if, you know, if I have everything? And the answer to that is gathering of the documentation of the past five years is really more of the simple part uh, with, of this Medicaid application. Again, it's not easy at all because you have to deal with financial institutions um, and trying to get these documentations, and obviously we have those relationships with them. But even beyond that, it's reviewing this documentation and presenting it in a proper way, uh, making sure everything is clear and self-explanatory for the Medicaid office so like that you ultimately get that approval and not get rejected because there are some 
transactions that don't have a good explanation. So it's an extremely tedious process. Um, we take care of the entire process. We meet with them one time. Thereafter, they can go on vacation and assume that mom will get Medicaid quickly and efficiently. Um, the only thing that we cannot do, obviously, is we cannot spend them money for them. So we don't become power of attorney in the sense of that we can close accounts or move funds. That's something that they need to do. But as far as the application work itself, we take care of everything. Yeah, I, I think this is really important what you what you just said. Having Look, having had to do this uh, for my own mom and was a, an intense amount of stress. And for the people who may be listening to this either now or online or on the podcast on, on my website – just because you think you have all these documents that you or a loved one has in a box somewhere because they're meticulous file keepers, the process of getting uh, – of going to the state uh, – I mean, look, I'll be very honest with you. I had to they, – they Medicaid people wanted a copy of a divorce decree from my mom from years prior. I had no idea how to get a hold of that. And it was only because somebody really knew the system that was able to cut through the system and the red tape and because you have to deal with state authorities and, like you said, financial authorities. And not everybody is available to you when you want them at your convenience. You have to sometimes adjust your schedule. And for people who are working full time, that can be a real stressor. Um, it's it's a real challenge. So that providing this service is I can imagine, I can see how it can be a real stress reducer going back to that comment on your website uh, because it can be overwhelming. It just can be overwhelming. Um, and you, what is the average time, if, if you could possibly speculate on that, from the time somebody, you know, begins this process to the time they actually get the notification that, yes, their loved one is Medicaid qualified? Michael, is it three months, six months, a year? Or is it, is it just so um, vary? Go well, ahead. again, I mean, it, it, do, it does vary, um, especially, um, you know, the Delaware Valley, um, you know, it really does vary because, for example, Philadelphia County uh, can take as, like about double as long as Montgomery or Bucks County. Uh, but on average, uh, we are looking at about a 60-day turnaround time from the date of submission. Mm. Now, basically what that means is, you know, if we retain somebody at $50,000, they're not going to get Medicaid 60 days later because they're not yet uh, financially qualified. But once they're financially qualified and we submit that application, it's on an average of 60 days. Now, you know, what some people, um, you know, get worried about, you know, if dad's in a nursing home, so who's going to pay for those 60 days if he doesn't have any more money? And the answer to that is, is that so long as the Medicaid application was submitted in a timely fashion, uh, Medicaid will pay back retro- retroactively so long as that individual qualifies for Medicaid. So once somebody becomes financially eligible, Medicaid, you know, let's just say November 1st, today, they need Medicaid and they are financially eligible, regardless of when they get approved, so long as that application goes through, Medicaid will pick up starting November 1st. Yeah, I think that's very important for people to, to, to understand. Uh, extremely, extremely important for people to understand. The, um, let me, let me ask you a question that really I think, uh, interestingly enough, in the, in the presidential election, very few people even want to talk about this, but yet, it, given the explosion of baby boomers of aging and not only on our own aging, but still caring for, in many cases, uh, aging parents, 
and since you you're in the field 24/7 what's your take on on the viability of the Medicaid Medicare programming going forward is this is this project in danger of running out of funds i mean in 20 30 years will our what are our children who may be now in their 30s and 40s are they going to have this security this program to look forward to in case god forbid we need it yeah, well, I'm in I'm in my mid thirties. I don't have confidence that it'll still be there. Wow! Uh, but you know, you know, the amount that just because the the it, they just simply because they just keep talking about how you know in danger we are of it going away, um, and we do see it firsthand of how much money they are actually putting out every single month. Um, you know, what we do see is that Medicare and Medicaid are constantly cutting their rates. Um, you know, two skilled nursing facilities, which doesn't affect the client because they're ultimately getting the same service. I mean, it probably does affect the client a little bit ultimately because it, it doesn't allow this skilled nursing facility to overstaff. Um, but yes, we definitely see cuts all around. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I don't have that crystal ball to say if it's going to. All I can say is I hope it still is. In your, in your industry, how, exp- um, how much of an, an expansion in these types of services are now focusing around the country? Is Senior Planning New Jersey part of a larger Senior Planning conglomerate, or is it you? Are you just focused on, for the sake of argument, the the Boston Washington corridor? Because you mentioned the states that you that you're involved with. Well, Senior Planning started um, approximately nine years ago in the state of New Jersey, um, and you know we just realized how much of a need it is out there um, and how much, yes, it is a business ultimately, but, you know, you you realize and you see how much you're truly helping individuals. And from the time that they meet with us, how overwhelmed and, you know, sometimes we meet with families. It looks like they just put their head into a socket where it's just they don't know if they're coming or going. And right. right after we meet with them, they just feel that that burden just came off their shoulders and they no longer have to stress about that. Uh, you know, we have binders full of testimonials from families of, you know, and it's funny because like 50% of them write that I don't know what I was thinking about tr- even trying this on my own. You know, some people try to do it on their own first and then they come back and say, you know what, can you help us? But if you think about it, um, you know, our service, yes, obviously there's a fee for our service, but the best part about it is that it's a Medicaid allowable expense. We spoke about before. You know, if Mr. Smith has $50,000, that $50,000 has got to get down to eight, and there's always so much that you could do with that money, our fee could come out of that spend down. So in essence, it's really free for them because any way you slice it, that money's got to go. So why wouldn't you take, you know, some money out of that pile, pay somebody to do this Medicaid application, and like that, you just got rid of all your stress, and all you, you just don't have to worry about it. It's all taken care of. Um, so... Um, after I, I went off track there a little bit, so we started in New Jersey approximately nine years ago, and then from there we moved to Pennsylvania, to New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Florida. Uh, we're looking to expand, and we're constantly expanding, uh, simply just because there's such a big, great need out there uh, for us. You know, the, you mentioned the, the, the distance. Let me just throw this question out because I'm sure you get this. Um, the long distance calls. In other words, you got you'll get a call from. Let's say uh, uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, dealing with a parent who's living in Bucks County, 
and they just they can't go back and forth. It's it, it for a variety of reasons. You'll handle that that challenge interstate because there may be different you know documents from different states. People move around. You do that right as part of the service. Yes, yes, nationwide. We actually get that all the time. Where you know the parent could live in New Jersey or in Pennsylvania, and the child lives in uh, Texas or Colorado. Um, and we actually at the, when that you know that comes up, we actually even offer the family. You know they don't have to come down to New Jersey. Obviously, we're not going to go to Texas to meet them. Uh, but they don't have to come to New Jersey either. We do it all over the phone. Uh, we email them some documentation that needs to be signed. Um, and it's the same process. They don't lose out anything. Um, all they do, they can, you know, sign up with us while they're sitting on their couch at home at 8 o'clock in the evening. We set up a phone interview. Uh, we go through some basic information. We uh, send them our documentation, what we need in a pre-addressed either email or a pre-addressed uh, UPS envelope. So all they have to do is take the documentation that we need, put it into a UPS envelope, and drop it in the UPS box. Um, and that's the extent of the work that they need to do to get onto Medicaid. So, yes, regardless of where the power of attorney, uh, which just to stop there for a second, I just mentioned the word power of attorney. I cannot stress enough how important it is and how crucial it is for every individual to have a power of attorney. Unfortunately, we see time and time again of individuals, um, elderly individuals that are in skilled nursing facilities or at home, don't have a power of attorney, they become incompetent, and then the process is just that much more strenuous. Um, it's such a simple document to create. You can even print it offline. All you need to do is get it notarized. It's a simple document to create, and it, it does so much for you. It saves so much headache. So that's that's definitely a very important document to, to get is the power of attorney, which for our clients we just do as a service if they would like us to create one. But... Um, yeah, regardless of where the child or the power of attorney is living, we can uh, retain them. That doesn't matter. So, Michael, we only have about two minutes left in this segment. Real, could you give me at a ballpark if I sign up for your service? What's what's the fee? Yeah. Um, okay. So the fee is really depends on the complexity of the case. So when we're giving that free consultation, that's another reason why we need to gather so much information from you, and then we could determine how difficult that case is going to be. Our fee, like I said before, is a Medicaid allowable expense. It's coming out of that spend down, and it varies between $5,000 and $7,000. Usually it's about the, between five and six. If it's extremely complex, it could go up to seven, but that's very rare. So it's a flat fee. So once we quote you that fee on that free consultation, regardless of what we find in the future, it's always going to stay on that fee. So if we quote you $5,500, it's going to stay at $5,500 regardless of what we find. And and it's important to remember that that is part of the spend down. So uh, it, it accrues to, to that, the process real fast. Um, first of all, thank you very much. Lots of information, but with, uh, before we sign off from this segment, give me the phone number and the website that if people want to get a hold of you, they can phone number and website. Okay. Okay, so the phone number is one eight five five seven seven five two six six four. Again, one eight five five seven seven five two six six four. The website is www dot senior s is in Sam E N I O R hyphen planning P L A N N I N G dot com. It's never too early to get educated, and it's never too late. And that consultation is always free. So by all means, feel free, call in. You'll go onto our website. You can send in a referral form that way. We can reach back out to you. 
Um, but the first step to being successful with your Medicaid application is to get that education. Michael Steinberg from Senior Planning, New Jersey. There are lots of information. Uh, we have about 30 seconds left. I'll give you the last word. What's the one piece of advice that you would want to give everybody who's facing this issue? Just the one, the one you must do this. What is it? You, you must get educated about the Medicaid rules and guidelines. Even if you think that you know, uh, you know the rules and guidelines, there's just so much more that you don't know. And today we went through some basic information. There is so much more information that we did not go through. It never hurts to get educated. Be proactive. Start planning ahead and don't wait for the last second. If you plan ahead, there may be situations that you can preserve some of your assets. So take that step, get educated, and hopefully you'll have an easy transition onto Medicaid. Michael Steinberg from Senior Planning, New Jersey. Thank you very much. Uh, to all of you, thank you for joining us on today's edition of Boomer Thanks. Generation Radio. We'll see you next Tuesday, uh, Election Day, so don't forget to vote. And um, Thank you. Take care. Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe. See you next week on Boomer Generation Radio. Take care. Thank you.